Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the Green Bay Packers continued their role through the 2016 preseason with a fairly impressive 21-10 win over the San Francisco 49ers at Levi's Stadium. And if you've been following our podcast for the last couple of years, that means that the Packers are all but assured of a winning season. Um <laughs> Obviously, that's not the case, but uh, preseason has shown for the Packers since 1978 that when they win three or more times in the preseason, more often than not, it means they have a really good, deep football team. And the early returns are that appears to be the case here in 2016. Um, Matt, we'll bring you in here, and, and part of the depth that we've seen from the Packers so far is behind... Uh, center. So they've had not only the center themselves with Corey Lindsley fighting an injury, we've had J.C. Treader in there, but they started their third different quarterback in the preseason this year um, against San Francisco. They played um, Rod Rodgers, Eric Eric Rodgers, I think, playing for the injured Brett Hundley. Yeah, I, I was wondering where you're going with that. There, I was like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, and he kind of looked like a like a fourth, third stringer <laughs> to start that game too. It wasn't pretty, but they at least got moving a little bit. Yeah, what did you make of that? Because when I got up on Saturday morning, I actually stayed up to watch the whole thing on Friday night. But on Saturday morning, I was reading some of the recaps. And Bob McGinn, who's usually uh, seeing things through a negative lens, really trashed the first-team offense, and Aaron Rodgers in particular, saying he looked exactly like the worst parts of what he was last year. And then Rob Domoski of ESPN was talking about the second drive where they looked pretty impressive. So which one stood out more to you? Well, I think the first one stood out more because I, I think that's you and I and probably most people listening are afraid of that Aaron Rodgers. It seems like he's got time, and all of a sudden he just starts swinging himself around 360 in the pocket and creating pressure sometimes where it's not there. Um, you know, with guys maybe not getting out open instantly, again, that's something we were really terrified of because mm-hmm. I know Jordy didn't play, but that was the worst parts of last year. Again, you know, Rodgers scrambling around, guys not getting open, and just everything looking out of sorts. Um, I mean, you can hopefully chalk most of that up to the fact that he hasn't played with his team in a game situation yet this year. But, man, <laughs> that first drive did look pretty bad, and the second drive was good, but it wasn't really good enough to completely erase that for me. Yeah, I wish I was the optimist and say that the second drive meant more to me. And I'm glad it was the second drive that was the good one because it could have just been, as you were saying, that it was his first game action since last January. So maybe it's just, you know, getting back used to being in the pocket in a real game situation. But yeah, you didn't. (laughs) I don't want to say all this, but like you. You saw Callahan run around like that, and you didn't really see Hunley run around like that, and they should be confused and not you know, giving up on plays early. And to see Rodgers do that a couple of times in his first few throws was like, not again. I mean, is this really what we're going to be like? And even the second drive, I think it was like 16 plays, so it was still a – I mean, they, they moved the ball, but it was kind of a struggle. And, you know, I'm not going to make any judgments on two drives, but, you know, the – the fan in me really wanted to see them just come out and not do any of those things that they did the last two and a half months of last season. And to see that right away was just kind of like, a, at least for me, it was a reality check that we shouldn't just expect them to get right back on the horse and be 25, uh, 26, sorry, 2014 all over again. Yeah, and you really hope they got that out of their system too because I imagine Rodgers probably won't even play a snap in this Thursday's game either. So yeah. you if you're going in rusty, rusty, getting two drives under your belt is probably not going to do that going against the starting defense week one. Mm-hmm. 
So, I, I mean, we could see more of the same to start that first game here, so let's hope they can shake that up quickly if it, if it shows up again. And it was almost like they had a checklist. Not only did Aaron Rodgers get happy feet and do the 360 out of the pocket at least once, but he also got a... It was either an offsides or too many men on the field penalty, and he let the play clock run out and had to use a timeout. Yeah, just chaotic. And that in that second drive, that kind of kept that drive going too, wasn't it? The too many men on the field, I believe. I think it might have been, yeah. So that drive that they got, and granted, they do do that a lot in the regular season too, so you can actually kind of count on that from time to time, but it was a drive that may not have been, do you not get a stupid penalty on the opponent? Yeah, and ugh. I mean, they, they did score, so... Hopefully that was just them trying to work some things out, but maybe that's we'll see how they start in Jacksonville. I mean, last year they were hard they hardly played at all in the preseason. They had a ton of injuries. Rodgers didn't play the last two games and he was lights out in Chicago. So it it might be fine, but man, it brought up all of those nightmares we were having last year. Can I at least say one positive thing that that I got from that first team offense? Yeah. And and that's that um one of my least favorite parts of last season is I felt almost like personally offended by the way that Randall Cobb had played, and I I was so bummed out. And I it felt like just in those couple of drives we saw some explosiveness from him that we didn't see at all last year. Mm-hmm. And I mean he wasn't getting open last year, but it just seemed they got the ball in his hands and he he looked slow last year. And we talked about that plenty, but he got the ball in the red zone there and just boom explosion right away. And I was like, oh my gosh, I remember this Randall Cobb. It it looked like a different player. That's a really good point, and he was the one who punched it in for that touchdown, right, and plowed yep. through some guys? Yeah, so I think, I'm starting to think he never got fully healthy last year from that injury he got in that Philadelphia preseason game when everybody thought he broke his collarbone. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he was playing injured and trying to press, and um, I don't know, I think that is a good point, though. Randall Cobb looked more like the guy we're used to rather than the guy who was unsure of himself last year. And I think another guy who we have to send praise to who probably also concluded his preseason year in San Francisco is Eddie Lacy, who, if he does not play again, will have finished the preseason with 20 carries for 114 yards for 5.5 yards per carry and at least one touchdown. He might have had two. Um, And that is an encouraging sign. Yeah, absolutely. 6.4 yards a carry on seven carries in that game. And and it's not even just him either. Everybody's looking good. But, I mean, for him to... Obviously, he looks like he's reverting back to two years ago player. Mm-hmm. So if we can get enough of those guys going back to when we were real good, um, back to that form, we should be in good shape. If he's in good shape and can handle a workload and not get banged up or hurt or out of shape, I mean, that's obviously, goes without saying, is a huge benefit for this team. And I know it's preseason, and they've had a weird quarterback situation throughout the entire uh, preseason campaign, but... I don't want to read much into this, but it felt like they were trying to run the ball more. And when they're probably trying to send a message to Eddie Lacy, but at the same time, you have a running back who you believe is a star who had a down year last year to have him get 20 carries. Uh, when he was out there, he was a workhorse, and they were giving it to him like he was Emmett Smith in Super Bowl 28, just over and over and over. And maybe last year woke up this coaching staff a little bit and said, hey, if we have a running game that can do this, perhaps we need to lean on it a little bit more than we have in the past. Well, yeah, I completely agree. If, you're, if your offensive line is run blocking like that, and then maybe the pass blocking isn't quite as good as that, I mean, you have to lean on that a lot more than you did last year. I guess even then you could last year with a banged-up offensive line and your running back's not playing as well. Mm-hmm. If, if they're in this form for the regular season, they're going to be an unstoppable offense because Rodgers doesn't have to try to force these 
receivers getting open and nobody getting open, it's going to make life so much easier, and he could put up some numbers like he has in the past. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seems like they've been pretty good in the red zone with the first team, even with um, Joe Callahan and with Brett Hundley in there, and then Rodgers, they punched it in the one time they were able to get in the red zone. And uh, I retract, by the way, what I said last week. I'm totally ready for football. I watched all three of the nationally televised preseason games yesterday, so... Yeah, preseason's not as bad as I made it seem yesterday. I was I was pumped to get the regular Sunday schedule. But I noticed that everybody has the same red zone problems that we had last year, and I think this is just me being a, you know, armchair head coach, I guess. It seems like nobody there's no power run teams really in the whole NFL outside of maybe Seattle and Minnesota when AP's in there. Nobody can score in the red zone. Everybody is passing and passing and passing. They get down to about the 17, and then they can't do anything and are settling for field goals. And to me, the solution to that would be that you can rely on a running game that can get you five yards a carry and can power it in those last 10 yards or those last 15. And if that's the solution, which admittedly it might not be, the Packers seem built for that. And hopefully they recognize that from last year because what happened to them in the red zone with Rodgers just failing, throwing it four times from the eight-yard line, that's league-wide right now. And I would like to see them try to do something to try to fix that, at least in Green Bay. Yeah, it looks like that's the game plan now, but I guess we'll see when the bolts are flying right to see if they actually are are willing and capable to do that in the red zone. But I, I think you're definitely right that it goes along with the offenses we're seeing everybody run now and there's a lot of positives to that but this is one negative is that when you're closed into that you know 10 to 20 yard frame there and that's all you can do it kind of pushes you back down a little bit and you're not used to a power run game and you try that on a defense all of a sudden that's expecting it mm-hmm. and you go nowhere and you get stuffed three times in a row too so yeah uh, yeah we'll see if they can commit i mean if you can run it on first and second down in those situations you got a lot better chance to succeed than somebody who's throwing three fades in a row yeah, so hopefully that carries over into the regular season. But like you said, uh, I'll I'll wait to see when the chips are down if Rodgers and McCarthy have it in them to run three times in the red zone. That that would go against everything we've seen from them in the last near decade. Mm-hmm. All right, so one guy who doesn't look any different than he has is Devontae Adams. And I thought Friday was his career in a nutshell. He had a great sideline catch that was called back with a penalty. He had a great contested catch on fourth down where he took it away from someone else. And then when he had a sure touchdown post down the middle of the field with a great throw from an undrafted free agent Division three quarterback thrown against the grain, he drops it right when it hits him in the hands. Oh, yeah. Callahan had some amazing things, too. We can talk about that in a minute. But, yeah, Devontae, yeah. I mean, he drops the one. And, you know, he, he makes that great catch. And you're like, all right, all right, that's a good sign. I can, you can kind of see what they're seeing at times on the coaching staff. But these just inexcusable errors. And I'm I'm more and more wondering if he might get cut. I, I know it's tough with a second-round pick only a few years in, and I haven't read anything into this. I'm not sure if it's even a possibility. But yeah. he's just – he continues to bring this to the table, and you feel like at this point, three years in, that's probably not going to change. Yeah, and honestly, I, I agreed with you um, until – I I was putting together some stats because I was thinking the same thing. It's been two years, so what's going to happen? And in my head, I kept thinking, well, at year two, Greg Jennings was an all-pro. So I went back because I'm a nerd, and I looked up every Packers receiver that drafted in the first three rounds since 1992. And so that includes like all of the Packers' good receivers, Jennings, Cobb, Freeman, Robert Brooks, and I threw in um, Bill Schrader and Donald Driver, who were in my opinion, the best receivers they've had that were not drafted high. And 
Greg Jennings and Randall Cobb were off the charts their first two years. Jennings had 1,500 yards and 15 touchdowns. Cobb had 1,300 yards and nine touchdowns. Um, they both had around 100 catches. Devontae Adams had, uh, in his first two seasons, had 929 yards on 88 catches. And that's about right where James Jones was, a little less than Freeman and Javon Walker, way better than Jordy Nelson, Driver, Schrader, Derek Mays, or Robert Brooks. And all of those guys, it, even uh, Derek Mays showed improvements in uh, year three. And so I think that he has to have a good year this year to get rid of it because Jordy Nelson in the Super Bowl, Robert Brooks in year three was a huge factor. Bill Schrader in his third year as a starter was a thousand yard receiver. Um, so it, it would be interesting to see if he can make that jump that those guys have had. But I was ready to give up on him until I saw that I was imagining Greg Jennings being a year two receiver, and he's the exception. All of some of these really productive receivers we've had were about the same in their first two years, so I'll give him one more year to make the jump. Maybe. I, I might argue with the numbers a little bit there, though. I think that might be deceiving because I, I, last year especially, I mean, he was force-fed. And yeah. they were in good enough positions in the past with those other guys that they didn't have to do that. And yeah. when they got on the field, they weren't making the monstrous gaffes that he's he's been making and dropping balls like this. I think that, you know, I, I, year one may be a, a better indicator of kind of what he was. I mean, he yeah. didn't do much throughout the regular season and then at least got a few good games in towards the end of the year. But when he actually was getting, you know, the ball forced to him last year because they had no better options. He looked terrible. Yeah. So I, I don't think – I remember, you know, Donald Driver's first couple of years and him looking very good in preseason and when he got in there, although he didn't play that much. Mm-hmm. And and some of those other guys, too, that you said that were good right out of the gates, I just – I don't think he has that in him. Well, and to support your hunch with the numbers here, the only guy who was targeted more in his first two years was Greg Jennings. And – that's because Greg Jennings' first year, he had a ridiculous over 100 targets for 45 catches when Favre had a like 50% completion percentage in his first year with McCarthy. But um, and also, so I'm I'm on the fence. So I guess I'm not saying write him off yet. I don't think he's going to do what these other guys did. Also, if you think of year two, Greg Jennings, Randall Cobb, Antonio Freeman, Javon Walker. Um, maybe not so much James Jones, but particularly Cobb, Freeman, and Walker, who had similar first years to Devontae Adams and Freeman, almost non-factor. The second half of their second year were touchdown machines. If you I mean, you remember Freeman after he broke his arm and Javon yep. Walker after Thanksgiving in 03, they were uncoverable, and we've never seen anything close to that with Devontae Adams yet. Right. So I guess I am saying your hunch could very well be correct, but... Maybe I'm just being hopeful that he'll take a Jordy Nelson or Robert Brooks-esque jump in year three. Yeah, let's hope so. I, I've got nothing against the guy other than just being extremely frustrated watching him play poorly. So if he plays well, I'm on board. I, I hope Yeah, he's got the physical talent for it, so let's hope it comes around. And that's what's so frustrating is you look at him run around out there, and he looks like he's Des Bryant or something or, yeah. or Demarius Thomas from a, a stature standpoint, and then he just can't do any of the stuff they do, and it's very frustrating. Although, he'll get some help in the passing game this year because Jared Cook looks like a beast. Yes. Yeah, that's big. And I, I think that's kind of been like under-talked about a little bit in everything I've seen with the Packers is how big of a, a bonus that can be when really for the last, whatever, three, three four years since Finley's been gone, mm-hmm. you've got just super average play at that position. Yeah. So if you can add a guy who's even a semblance of a weapon out there, I mean, that's such a big bonus for this offense. 
And really all they have to do is in the first month of the season hit him on a couple of seam routes just to scare the bejesus out of everybody, and right. then you can start picking him. I mean, because Jermichael Finley, outside of 2009, was never this huge statistical difference maker, but he, was, he had put enough on film that he was such a matchup problem that you couldn't ignore him. You had to put somebody important on him, and that made a lot of opportunities for other people. Yeah, you knew he could kill you. He had the ability to stretch the field, so you had to cover him where we just really haven't had that. I mean, outside of one monster play for Richard Rodgers last year, I can't remember him catching a ball you know, down the field more than like 10 yards. Yeah. And back with Corliss and things very similar. So it's just having that guy who can be a deep threat and make a big play is big. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully he can continue that. Um, that's pretty much all we've seen so far this season from the starters. I know the defense... Uh, another mixed bag where they had one really bad drive where they couldn't stop a lot of that misdirection stuff. But I thought for the most part they've played three, uh, two really pitiful opponents and one who has shown flashes but then at other times has not been very good. So it's hard to read too much into this defensive performance. But for the most part, I guess I'm no more concerned about them than I have ever been, um, I guess. Right, yeah, it's really hard to gauge him after this game especially because that 49ers offense is going to be just terrible this year. Um, yeah, I, I, it was nice to see Clay get in on that first play and, and make that tackle in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the young secondary guys looked good again. I mean, you basically have the same lines coming out of every game. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, they got some nice pressure at times. The secondary looked good, and Clay looked good. Um, so they kind of are what they are, like you said. I, I expect them to be kind of what they were last year again, and I think there's no reason to not think that. Yeah, and the scary thing is that Kenny Clark didn't even make the trip because of tightness in his back. He said he'll be fine, but that's a little concerning with how much they're relying on him to be a big, important part of this defense. Uh, But I think Blake Martinez keeps getting better, and Carl Bradford, I know he doesn't play with the number ones, but he's been everywhere so far this preseason. Uh, Be nice to see him turn the corner. Well, yeah, you, I think you'd expect him to make the team and then probably contribute some so you don't have two super young guys out there all the time, you know, a middle linebacker. If he can come in, he's got I, – I mean, he's young too, but he's at least been around for uh, two or three years at this point, right? So Yeah, uh, well, he was drafted in 2014, but I think he was, he was either I, – I think last year he was IR'd, and in 14 he yeah. just didn't play very much. Or maybe right, I, I mean, have You already switched. think you don't have a ton of depth there, so if you got a guy yeah. like that that you can throw in there from time to time, that's that's big too. And I haven't – Maybe I haven't been paying attention, but I haven't seen hardly anything from Jake Ryan this preseason. I wonder yeah, if they're going to go. I was just thinking the same thing when I was talking about that. It's like, has he even been playing? I can't even remember him being out there. Yeah, I got a sense they're probably going to start Barrington next to Martinez at least to start the season. Yeah. Um. However, when the backups came in, so let's switch back to the offense. We had uh, a young Doug Flutie playing quarterback for us. Uh, I I doubt it'll pan out like that, but. For preseason action, and I don't know what's going to happen with him, but Joe Callahan has been a blast to watch. I hope yeah. he makes that. I think he'll make the practice squad. He hasn't been that good that anybody would nab him, and he has almost no college pedigree. So I think he'll make the team, or he'll be affiliated with the team in some capacity, but just for sheer entertainment value, he's been great. Yeah, it's it's really tough because he shows these flashes where it's like, you expect a guy from D3 to come in and can maybe manage a game and maybe they score a couple of touchdowns because he's you know he's doing that. But he is launching the ball across his body down the field, making these incredible NFL throws. Mm-hmm. That I you know if they had to try to put him on practice squad, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody snatched him up. Yeah, I, it, just the physical tools that I mean you can show from that level of college and how a D 
two or a D one team didn't get that guy. Yeah. At some point, I I don't know his backstory that well, but short. I think that that's his backstory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think he's put enough on tape that it might be tough to practice squad him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I. I was thinking that too, and I, I kind of stole that opinion. I, I wish I could credit the author, but um, it was an article that I was reading that said he still probably would make it because pretty much every other team has a reasonably high draft pick as a backup or a third guy. And, you know, if you're going to keep some guy from Baylor or TCU or UCLA or somebody who's got some big time college football on game tape. You'd rather do that than go try to fish for some guy from D3 who's never seen your playbook before. And that gave me a little bit more comfort. And with Brett Hundley's injury and a lot of other guys that maybe will be eligible to go on IR or the pup list, you you wonder if uh if maybe they'll have to keep him as an active part of the roster to start the season. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Um I, I think Mark Marquise Williams is definitely out. Obviously. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, but I, I don't know. I mean, you, you're telling me that a team like San Francisco might not want a guy like that. He just outplayed all of their quarterbacks in a preseason game. I know you're not going to throw him out there to start Week One, but yeah, I mean, a decent developmental guy. When your fourth is Christian Ponder and you've got Kaepernick and Gabbert, like give me that guy. Yeah, but then you see guys like Whedon and uh, Kellen Clemens who are in the league for years and years because they were high picks from big time colleges, and you yeah. know. Push comes to shove, I bet you for league minimum or the veteran minimum, they'd keep Christian Ponder rather than go fish on somebody's practice squad. Yeah, you might be right. But I maybe I'm just being hopeful. But I don't know, with uh, Hunley's injury, he might make the team anyways. And the way that the Packers' reserves have been playing this preseason, if you had to have Joe Callahan with the starting offense and and the defense and what whoever's out there, I felt... If they had to play Detroit in week three with Joe Callahan at quarterback, I feel like they could win. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe not against Jacksonville week one. Um, no, definitely not against the Vikings either. <laughs> you could probably take out a bad team, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tennessee maybe. They could probably yeah. beat them. But I hope that he somehow stays here because he's just been a really fun story. Definitely the most fun story of the Packers preseason for me. Yeah, it's it's been so much more fun to watch than some of these guys in the past because it like they're just letting them whip it around, and it's something that we don't see as much from Rodgers these days. I feel like so yeah. just instead of having to watch a boring preseason game where it's just short passes and constant checkdowns and runs, you get to see a guy running around and tossing it down the field. It, that last game was fun to watch. Oh yeah, a lot of fun. He had that. I think it was was that Geronimo Allen that he yep. had that fifty yard t- uh, pass to. Yeah, I believe it was. Um, got the stat line right here. Geronimo, yep, he didn't score a touchdown Cobb, and uh, Aberderis had that one in the end zone as well, but, oh, but yeah. uh, Geronimo had 78 yards on just three catches. Yeah, he had that long bomb on that jailbreak, and then he almost hit Trevor Davis, I think, for yep. a touchdown. he dropped one too. It was kind of a mix between just slightly overthrown and a drop, but I probably would have chalked it up as a drop. Yeah, yeah, I think they share the blame, but I, I'll agree with your assessment there. Um, in other news about preseason, one of the things that some people have cared about, um, Peter Mortal, or was it Mortel? I can't Mortel, yep. He got cut today, so Mass Yeah, I was surprised to see that. He seemed to look way better to me, and we've had problems, obviously, the last couple of years. I thought for sure it was going to be Mortel. Yeah, but I, I feel like with how much longevity Mastay has and Crosby likes him as the holder, that Mortel would have had to been much, much better in order to uh, win the job. It would have had to have been clear-cut even more so than it was. It's it's tough, though. you got a local kid. I mean, that's a nice story, and you've had a punter who 
the last two years has probably been, in my opinion, bottom five in the league. Like, I don't, I can't pick anybody who's been worse, but I don't watch as many games from other people, but I sure, certainly can't think of somebody who's been worse that I've seen. No. It, I mean, I get that the holding part is big, and I think that's important because Mason Crosby's had a really good last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we've been so bad at punting. It, it's almost he hasn't looked like a professional at times. It's been so bad. So I, I thought this was for sure the clear-cut uh, winner here and was going to knock him out. And see, I didn't think it was that clear-cut. I thought it was more of a tie, in in my opinion, and I think it, it's almost like trying to defeat the incumbent. Unless you have a really, really good campaign, it's hard to beat the incumbent. And so I, I almost felt that he got it slightly by default. I think that it yeah. was going to be hard for Mortel to win anyways. But, right. um, you know, I don't know. All right, the other big story that came out of this game had nothing to do with the Green Bay Packers. It was Colin Kaepernick refusing to stand for the national anthem. And there has been a lot of talk about this. And I know we're not politics forever, but Matt, do you have any thoughts on that? I guess. I mean, it's it's kind of been the same thing for me. Again, not to get too political, but like when we've seen, like I, I get the cause and I definitely agree with it, but I think there's better ways to go about it too. And I think it kind of brings unwanted attention to a guy who's really struggling on top of that. Yeah. Like I, to me, it makes more sense to go and have a press conference that maybe you're expected to talk about where you're sitting at and talk about it then mm-hmm. um, rather than, you know, disrespect things in that certain way. But I, you know, I... I, I, to each his own. I mean, it's hard for somebody like me to put myself in the shoes of somebody, you know, who's been struggling with this. And so I, I feel there's better ways to do it, but I'm not going to judge him too much. I don't think. Yeah, I think I agree with most of what you said. I, I get really irritated when you see the comments that are against him, and I know his Twitter feed has had some rough times. And you know, there's nothing more American to me than bullying someone for exercising their First Amendment rights. Right. <laughs> um, and but I, I'm with you. I think once he explained himself, I, I felt better about it. And I think it's easy to write off these professional athletes as they don't—they're out of touch with the world. They play a game for a living. They're rich. But then you look at his background. He's the same age as we are. He's he's college educated. He's traveled the world. He's lived all over the country. And he's black, which I am not. So I I really don't know what it's like to be in that situation. But but for me, I think he's well within his rights to do it, and I think people are obviously within their rights to criticize him for it. But to me, it's a weird way to do it because he yeah. said he was going to do it until he felt it was worthy to stand for it. And then, so how could that moment ever come about? I mean, you're going to be like, today's the day, America's fixed, now I'm going to stand for the national anthem. I mean, we're never going to get to that point. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's going to have to be some, if, for him not to do it for the rest of his career, which may not, may not be that much longer anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, it, I mean, there's going to have to be some sort of landmark event, and you're right, I can't picture it in the next few years. Yeah, it'll offend somebody the day if he sat for years, and then finally he's like, well, now America's fixed. I mean, it's right. it you can't fix a country. There's always going to be something that's going to be wrong for some group of people, and because the world's not perfect. But um, if he can take this attention and springboard it into something positive then good for him but uh um yeah i i feel like if if that's his stance which i think is a you know i think it's a worthy stand that he's taking um he, i think he's got to take it further than just not standing for the national anthem right all right so we don't need to talk about that anymore um other quarterback issues around the league tony romo once again injured his back it sounded like he cracked 
the inner part of his vertebrae, this part that's facing the front of his body, sounded yeah, like a gross. Oh, I know. It like makes you shiver when you talk about it. But um, he's going to be out. They said for they said he'll feel okay at around two weeks, but he'll probably be out six weeks or so, perhaps longer. And they're going to go with Dak Prescott, the rookie from Mississippi State, who's looked very good so far. And uh, I guess your thoughts on that and a larger issue, do you think Dak Prescott will play well enough that we never see Romo again in Dallas? Um, on that one, no, I would probably say no to that. But I, I, but I mean, there's the possibility for it, I guess you'd have to say. I mean, if he would have to play really, really well, but I, I would think Romo is the starter when he comes back in, unless this team is, you know, like 7-1 and one or something. <laughs> it is right on the top of their division. It might be tough. Yeah. But... I definitely don't expect that from a rookie on a team with a bad defense. I mean, they're going to run like crazy, and it's going to probably be fun to watch to see a fourth-round rookie starting right away. With um, a rookie running back. With a rookie running back pretty much running the show and, and just trying to force Des Bryant the ball when you can. I, I'm looking forward to watching the games, but I don't expect too much from it, I guess. Yeah, we've seen a lot of guys really flash. And, and wasn't that Dak Prescott kind of in college where he bust onto the scene and he was dominating and then the last year plus a couple games he wasn't all that impressive yeah i mean the t- i say more the team overall i think he pretty much always put up really good numbers and was the best player on that like in the history of mississippi state but i know the team was really good i think a couple years ago and wasn't so good last year did, did they no um old miss beat alabama and they just barely lost did they beat alabama last year though yeah old miss i think has beat them the last two years oh they? that's right okay and then mississippi state was number one, I think, in 2014 yeah. and then lost to Alabama when they were number yep. one. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, it'll be a fun team to be. That'll be a team that'll, I'd like to be on Madden or something. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, well, I don't think I'm going to buy Madden this year, though. Yeah. I wanted to play the college football game so bad. Like, I, I, I'm just so in the college football mood. I can't wait till next weekend. Yeah, oh, I agree. I, I was I was in that mode about a month ago, like, so much so that I, like, had a haul out the old Xbox and play it a little bit because <laughs> I even I went to see if they you could get like an older version downloaded on the Xbox One and you can't even do that. So, well, that's because they stopped making games. it because of a lawsuit about right. using player likeness. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I miss it. I always like that one better than Madden. Well, it's just fun to do the recruiting stuff, and it feels like a bigger underdog. Like you could take Cleveland to the Super Bowl, and you know it's whatever. But it's more fun to be like. I, I love to be North Texas and New Mexico State and Sunbelt teams and then build them over four years to a national title. That's way yeah. That feels like a bigger underdog story. Yeah. All right, so the Vikings were on national TV yesterday, and I got a chance to watch them. And I thought it was funny because they were talking about Teddy Bridgewater having to get better at throwing the ball down the field. And he threw, like, what a ball that must have traveled, like, 13 yards past the line of scrimmage and John Lynch is like see he can throw it down the field and I was thinking what a sad state of affairs it is in 2016 that that's considered down the field Ken Stabler would be rolling over in his grave yeah yeah I uh I I didn't get to see as much of that game yesterday but yeah same with him I'm not taking anything from that in in the preseason until that gets going Mm -hmm. I feel like the the poor guy though like I, I feel he's definitely a game manager and just like Alex Smith doesn't want to push the ball, but his receiving core, I mean, if Laquan Treadwell doesn't turn out that well, I mean, Stephon Diggs is his best receiver. Yeah. (laughs) He's still got Kyle Rudolph, though. Yeah, but it's got to be hard. I mean, you you can force a guy to throw it down the field all you want, but, I mean, if you're not a lucky quarterback like Matt Stafford who 
made his whole career about having that guy <laughs> on his team. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot harder to do. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully he's not able to do it for the sake of our favorite team, right. but um, I don't know. That, that new stadium looks really, really cool. Like, it looks like they're outside when the roof is closed because it's all glass. I mean, it's it's as impressive as it was in those drawings, and I didn't know if that would be possible. But um, you and I were texting about this yesterday. Um, I don't know, maybe it's just getting older, but and reading so many fan comments under stories um, today during the Kaepernick stuff, but during every story, it's just a bunch of fans who I'm not sure could even write their name on an IQ test just debating about this guy is a loser and this guy is this, and it... I don't really feel like I hate many teams. I dislike Seattle because I think some like of their players are disingenuous and whatever. But for the most part, I I feel like coming into this season, I I just really am excited to see everyone and Minnesota included. I I want the Packers to obviously overtake them, but I I kind of appreciated them coming up last year and they're kind of a gritty, hard nosed team. But now that they're back indoors, I guess I'm losing a little respect for them. Yeah, it was so much cooler last year, and it's for some reason, like, in the indoors, their jerseys just look a little more purple, and they're just, like, <laughs> a little more hateable, and I just, like, I was thinking that yesterday, I was like, man, I swear that they were more bluish last year, and they looked yeah. a little tougher, but, uh, yeah, I, I didn't get to see the, like, the whole outside of the stadium, I missed the beginning of the game, but it did look like they were outside, Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you'll be able to tell come winter, though, that it's definitely not, uh, yeah, it definitely removes some of that tough and cool factor to them, not that I would ever think the Vikings would be no, they, they lose all credibility again for me. <laughs> well, and I don't know, like it's it's not fun that the Packers lost the NFC North to them last year. But for NFL history's sake, it's kind of awesome that we got to see live an outdoor Vikings home playoff game yeah. that, that was just bitterly cold. It was a classic game against what's becoming a classic opponent. So for NFL history's sake, now that the Vikings lost that game in hilarious fashion and the yeah. Packers <laughs> went on, I'm kind of glad that happened while they were still in the uh, uh, Minnesota Gophers stadium. Yeah, considering you, we still win our first round game and move on, and then for them to get their hearts broken like that, I would trade that for the division. <laughs> Maybe some fans <laughs> don't feel the same way, but the playoff win means a lot more to me than that. Yeah, and and the way they lost theirs, totally trade off. I I'm definitely that's a fair trade for us for sure. Yep. And now you don't even have the pressure of having to win six straight divisions or whatever. You can just start a new. Right, just... Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Okay, uh, also coming out of yesterday's game, my Houston Texans 4-12 and pick is going to be way off. I don't know if you saw any of that game, but Osweiler looked good. That defense without J.J. Watt looked good. Either yeah. that or the Cardinals are in deep trouble because Carson Palmer looks really old and really bad. I, I did not see as much of that game, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I guess I haven't seen any of Osweiler this preseason yet, so I don't. I can't judge that at all. Yeah, he made some nice throws, and, um, you know, he, he looked about how he looked in Denver, just a little bit more sure of himself and granted shorter action, but he didn't seem like he was as uh, he, he looked less like a rookie than he did last year. But Carson Palmer in the two games I've seen him against San Diego and the Texans has just looked really, really bad so far this year. Hey, I'll take that. Not that I, I root against the Cardinals, but one less, if he plays bad, I mean, that's one less team out of your way. If he doesn't play well, they don't have a chance to make the playoffs. I don't think. No, I don't think so either, and part of that uncertainty is why I'm somewhat baffled why the Cardinals seem to be a very popular pick. I agree, yeah. It it doesn't quite make sense to me because it's not like Carson Palmer at any point in his career has been an, an effective postseason quarterback, and 
people seem in all magazines and on Fox yesterday, everybody's talking like the Cardinals are the team to beat in the NFC. And I don't know how you could have ever watched a Carson Palmer uh, big game and come to that conclusion that they're that much of the favorite. Well, I, I think the general thought has to be that they were so close and he was injured. They were missing Tyron Matthew. But, in, you know, to me, he's another year under his belt on his career. And, you know, he's not going to be getting like that much better. I feel like the last two years were more an anomaly for his career in the regular season. Yeah. But the playoffs haven't been. And in kind of both years, you look at this team as somebody that you don't really completely trust in. And the last year, they do get it done and get to the NFC Championship game. But and got destroyed. Reason, <laughs> Yeah, I just I just can't put my faith into them yet. Even still, I just I don't trust the team. I don't even trust them to win their division. I I feel like if you had to put your chips to the center of the table, even in that division, I'd put it on Seattle. And oh, I yeah, did. I would too. We both picked Seattle to win the Super Bowl, so yep. Clearly, we think that already. Um, not much else happened other than I noticed in the preseason all of the players are really really nice to each other. They're always helping each other up off the ground and you know joking around and. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's that league-wide players' mentality of trying to avoid injury in these uh, quote-unquote meaningless games. But it's funny how many it seems like opposing players are rushing to help other quarterbacks and other star players off the ground after big plays, and you're certainly not going to see that a month from now. Yeah, I think you just see in the preseason see a little more of guys' natural personalities because it's not the crazy intensity of the regular season. It's still important, but not that important that you want to smush a guy when he's in the ground or step on his junk like in Dominic and Sue or something like that. He would I, I, in the preseason. just like lose that edge. Yeah. I feel like and Sue still would do that in the preseason. Yeah, he would. He, he has done it in the preseason before. Yeah, he'd, he'd probably do that at his grade school kids camp when they're scrimmaging, I would think. What quarterback was it like three years ago that he like rang, he like spun him around and like suplexed him like headfirst into the ground? I feel like it was Dalton or Hoyer. It was one of those yeah, orange I was teams. Dalton. Yeah, he did. He did. I think Dalton he ripped his helmet off or something like that. It was bad, and I feel like. Guy, yeah. <laughs> he's, don't you wish he was in the division? Oh, it was. Those were good times. Um, the other thing, um, I, I feel like I've said that like four times to segue the other and next and next, but. Uh, Peyton Manning, they had a really good special on him on his off-season workout prior to the 2013 season, and then they had a really cool uh, wrap-up on. Uh, kind of summarizing his retirement speech and it was really good it was it was the timeline series and they just had it on NBC rather than the NFL network and maybe it's been shown before but I hadn't seen it and the thing that occurred to me and it was a mini crossfire question that I wanted to discuss with you is the way he played in Denver and the fact that they went to two Super Bowls and won one is he going to be better remembered as a Bronco than a Colt uh, I would say no way, personally, I guess. But I, I mean, for the younger generation, probably because you you see him do that. But I mean, he's he's always going to be a cult to me, I guess. It, it was such a long, successful career there, and he did win a Super Bowl there. I think the only way you could possibly say it the other way is it's just because it's more recent. Yeah, and it's hard to say yes or no when we're so close to that Denver period. But I was just thinking about when they're showing the highlights. He broke the single season and career touchdown records with Denver, and he won two MVPs with Denver, and he beat Tom Brady twice in the AFC Championship game with Denver. And so it feels like, despite Denver being such a small part of his career, that a lot of the greatest parts of it were disproportionately during his time in Denver. 
And if you're going to do a history of Peyton Manning, whereas Brett Favre, he's got so many memorable moments with the Packers, what is the most memorable moment Peyton Manning had with the Colts? Like off the top of your head. Uh, I guess the comeback against the Pats in the AFC Championship game, or maybe that comeback against the Buccaneers on that Monday night football game, I guess, are the, the two I can think of. Yeah, those, I, I those guess are you good just kind of more think about sustained success and, you know, 12-4 and four and MVPs. Well, I think you're right, but also with the Colts, you also go with 14-2 and two in a first-round playoff win, a loss and 13-3 in a first-round playoff loss, whereas he did that with Denver, but by then nobody cared. Um, I think he'll ultimately be remembered more as a Colt, but I think it's going to be much closer to equal than it is with Favre and uh, Favre's time with the Packers and Vikings. Does that yeah, make I sense? can see that. Yeah. yeah. All right, um, Joey Bossa finally signed with the Chargers today. Did you see that? I did, yeah. It seemed like such a silly holdout, but uh, uh, I, I mean, you get it from both sides. The Chargers don't want to budge on the way they've been writing contracts for years, but you're a rookie, you don't want to miss all that time, too. It's tough. Uh, so, I mean, it's good he gets in. He may have to miss a, a game or two just to get in shape, though, you would think. Yeah, and it's funny that it took so long because with the new collective bargaining agreement and the rookie salary wage scale they really don't have that much to negotiate other than the language of the contract and you'd think if they'd have just sat in the room for eight hours they could have got it done yeah you'd think so it's it seemed like both sides are stubborn though i i I heard something about how the chargers with some of their offset language for like after a year three or four do it very unique and haven't had as many problems signing guys in the past but I guess Bosa's camp really didn't like it, and he wanted more than the average for uh, money up front, too, on top of that. So it, it sounded like neither side was willing to give in, and then they kind of nego- they both kind of met in the middle on those two things today. Well, and he also was the highest pick the Chargers had had since, I mean, it, I guess whatever you want to count Phillip Rivers as, but mm-hmm. none of these other guys that had been making concessions, they were mostly in the teens, whereas he was the third pick in the draft. Right. So you could kind of see where he had a little bit of a better case. But um, I don't know. I always kind of like San Diego, so I'm sort of glad for their case that they were able to settle this. So far, my favorite play of the preseason came yesterday where the Vikings were showing an all-out blitz and Phillip Rivers did this long audible and got the playoff with one second left on the play clock. And it was a draw to Melvin Gordon. Phillip Rivers got smashed by an all-out blitz and Melvin Gordon juked the guy and ran for a 40-yard touchdown like he used to at Wisconsin. Oh, I missed that, but I have heard even before that game where I did hear he ran for that touchdown. But I heard that he's kind of like rededicated himself in camp, which was is sort of weird because you always heard at Wisconsin how he was the guy working out at you know two in the morning. Yeah, and and just for whatever reason last year just didn't seem to click, and obviously it looked like it on the field. He just looked bad. Yeah, but apparently he's impressing in camp this year, which would be awesome because you hate to see another Badger running back bust. Yeah, that's a big thing because that could hurt recruiting eventually. And oh, yeah, big time. Especially with the prospect that the Badgers might get absolutely slaughtered on national TV again on Saturday. So um, they, they need to have some of these guys start working out, although Russell Wilson you know, puts a lot yeah, on the other JJ side. J.J. Watt's fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, J.J. Watt, too. <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, they should be okay in, on those fronts. But, uh, yeah, I heard he worked out with Adrian Peterson to help cure his fumbling, and then uh, after that he worked out with Devontae Adams for catching the ball. He worked out. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think AP's known for that. Yeah, he's he's working with Wes Welker to stay healthy, and, you know, it's <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of good uh, advice that he's getting. The other thing that really irritated me about yesterday is that the halftime show on ESPN was about the intro 
song. And all of their promos for Sunday Night Football have been about the Carrie Underwood intro song. And I want to know who in the hell at NBC thinks anybody cares about that stupid intro song. Like it's more of an attraction than the game itself. They've always been that way. It's weird. I wish I could answer that to you, but I have no idea. I could care less what they put on at the beginning of that. They, like, never even show a game. Like, when they're doing a promo for Sunday Night Football, it's Carrie Underwood practicing her vocals. <laughs> it's like, oh, that'll get me geared up for football. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> That's, I, I really don't have anything to add to that. It's just really weird. Like, I want to be in these meetings to understand the rationale. Like, somebody's sitting there, well, we could tell them about the Super Bowl rematch, or we could tell them that we redid the intro song. <laughs> Let's do the latter. <laughs> All right, so, um, Matt, I don't have anything else from preseason week three, do you? No, no, just uh, one more to go, and then the real thing starts. Is there a Thursday night game that opening week then still, right? Yep, it's uh, that it's that Super Bowl rematch. It's Den- oh, yeah. Carolina at yep. Denver. The real thing starts in college, though, on Saturday, and there is a pretty awesome, uh, comparatively, week one uh, slew of games. And so Oklahoma and Houston are playing at a neutral site game in Houston, which is kind of <laughs> weird. Um, the What else? We have some other good ones. North Carolina and Georgia, Alabama against USC, Clemson and Auburn. So actually some really good games. But, of course, the big one that people in Wisconsin have been looking forward to for three years is number 6 LSU coming to play Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is currently unranked, but they were they received a ton of votes in both the coaches and AP poll. So if it was a top 30, the Badgers would be in that. Um, what are their chances that they're going to win on uh, Saturday? I give them a small shot. I mean, you definitely have a better chance than beating Alabama because, I mean, LSU has proven over the last five years or so that they haven't recruited quite the the hogs up front on both sides of the ball that Alabama does where, you know, last year you just, or when they played Alabama, you had basically no chance because you couldn't match that. Mm -hmm. So I I think you're playing an LSU team who never really seems to have that great of a quarterback, and we always have a pretty good run-stopping defense, so if you can slow down Fournette a little bit, I think you've got a shot. I'd Mm -hmm. I'd only give them maybe like a 20% chance to win, but I I, I don't know. I don't think it's out of the question. I would agree. Um, The thing that worries me a little bit and maybe gives me hope a little bit too is Stave was such a system quarterback that was there to not make mistakes and move the chains, whereas Bart Houston feels a little bit more like a playmaker, and maybe he doesn't have some of the playmakers that Stave has had in recent years, but um, I feel like he could maybe hit some big plays that they weren't going to get out of any of their, uh, out of Stave really, or certainly like Kurt Phillips or uh, um, McAvoy or anything like that, but he also is a bigger risk to have a bunch of backbreaking turnovers, I think, than, uh, than Stave. I don't know. Stave was known for those a time or two as well, but yeah. you're right. I mean, he could maybe more take them out of a game than they've been at risk for in the past, but I'll take it. I'm I'm sick of Stave and those kind of quarterbacks. <laughs> well, and he's a fifth-year senior, too, so it's not like we're trotting out some sophomore or something. Right? Yeah. So we'll see what happens. And if Corey Clement's healthy, they stuck in it with Alabama until Corey Clement got hurt. So with the Lambeau crowd and... Um, I was reading that apparently LSU got 20,000 tickets for Lambo, and I never understood quite why they do all these neutral site games before these uh, power conference matchups, but maybe it's just that, that if you go to Camp Randall, you don't get as many road team tickets. 
Yeah, I would bet so. And plus, it's going to look cool. It's going to be college game day in Green Bay. It's going to be at the ABC 230 time slot, which is like your classic big-time college football time slot. And um, Gosh, it would be fun if the Badgers won this one. It would be program-making, even if they went through the rest of their crappy or really hard schedule and only won seven or eight games. If they could beat LSU, that would be enormous for the program. Yeah, I agree. So let's hope for that. All right, so the Packers have one more preseason game. Hopefully we'll get another Joe Callahan show. Um, I would be surprised if any of your other starters that are in, too important play hardly at all. Maybe you'll get a series or two out of some of your younger starting offensive linemen, but uh, I doubt Clay. I suppose real quick we should talk about Clay and Julius Peppers. Uh, apparently the NFL presented no new findings, and but at the flip side, tell me if I'm wrong, but... These happened about a week ago. I've heard from many of the sources, they they didn't tell me personally, I've read what they've wrote about these, that there was no new findings. The NFL didn't find anything that would um, cause them to further this investigation, yet they don't seem too quick to go out and release the statement that these guys are cleared of suspicion. Yeah, that's a good point. I haven't heard like any, anything about it. I heard something on local radio or on the news, I think, but it hasn't been on ESPN, and there's been nothing from the NFL either. That, that is kind of funny. Well, I would be PO'd if I was the Players Association that you couldn't stop talking about it in the media, and then once you talk about it and you find out that there's nothing wrong, you drag your feet in exo- essentially exonerating these guys, and that's not fair at all. Yeah, I agree. And uh, that goes for James Harrison, too. It's not just, you know, obviously I'm more passionate about it because it involves players that are on the team I care about, but it's it's really not fair to any of those guys. But hopefully that's the last we hear about that, and uh, that'll be the last you hear from us here on today's Green and Gold Forever. But if you'd like to comment on uh, today's store, uh, today's episode, you can do so on our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. You can tweet at us at Green Gold Forever. That's the number four. Um, you can also interact with us there. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and also download the Podbean app where you can get our complete archives rather than just our last like 10 or 12 episodes that you get on iTunes. So go to the Podbean app, and you can follow us on there. So the Packers have one more preseason game, but in just a little over, what is that, about 10 days, we will be starting the NFL season with a Super Bowl rematch, and needless to say, we're all very excited. So thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care, everyone.